0: hey everybody welcome back to gray malkin lane's patreon episode uh for the end of may i get to have these incredible shows that i've got my friend chuck austin back here today hi chuck how are you
1: hey chad, i'm doing great or can i call you chad is that okay
0: yes i mean I what else know. would you call me well i know I, I never know if
1: i'm supposed to use pseudonyms or you know, oh no no
0: yeah my, or, okay. yeah i just use my name it's it's just chad anderson out here that's easy
1: <laughs> okay all right good,
0: good there's a bajillion of us out there so unless you like google my name with like marvel comics or by book names you'll just find whatever chad anderson pops to the top <laughs> okay got it got it <laughs> cool. uh, how are you my friend it's uh it is we're recording this uh on the last day of april uh in uh 2023 how's life
1: uh life is uh life is pretty good um i'm uh i, I have to say i'm enjoying myself quite a lot lately I, and uh and i don't know why um it's It's a slow time in the industry because of what's going on with Netflix and and things Mm -hmm. have uh, sort of ground to a halt in the town. But I think maybe I needed some relaxation and some time off. So uh, it got forced on me and I'm kind of glad about it. So
0: this is a sobering topic to open with. Do you want to give us the uh, the Reader's Digest version of what's happening uh, right now in Hollywood?
1: oh it's kind of hard to let's see the reader's digest version is that essentially everybody's reevaluating the streaming situation Mm -hmm. um when when netflix had their little stumble uh was it a year ago now um might have been a little over, over a year ago now wow maybe a year and a half has it been that long um all of the other streamers sort of went oh they're not Making money? Well, maybe are we ever going to make money? Is and they all because so much of a new business is based on the model of losing money initially and then eventually making money over the course of time. Sure. Um, so everybody was assuming that at some point these streaming services were all going to start just raking in the cash, and now they're all reevaluating on whether or not oh maybe they're not going to rake in the cash. How are we going to approach this? Um, or you know, so that's kind of where they they are, and everybody kind of took a step back to to evaluate. And in the process of evaluating, they're not signing on as many shows. They're looking for much cheaper shows. Um, so it's, it's changed a lot of things in this town. So a lot of production has stopped.
0: I've only spent a little time in Hollywood, but in my brief amounts of time there, I felt like everyone was connected to the industry somehow, whether you're an agent or a a person in casting, you might be like the guy who walks the dogs or coordinates the personal assistant, or I, I feel like everyone there is connected. So when something like this slows down. Uh, I'm sure it kind of affects everything a little bit from the writers, obviously, to the performers, to everyone in between. I also feel like like, uh, technologically, we're going through a little bit of a weird change right now. The stuff that we've been so used to for so long, like Twitter and Facebook, feel kind of unsafe for a lot of people now. Very Instagram much so. seems to still be okay, but I'm seeing people revert back to kind of old message board formats, like on Discord, where <laughs> yeah. a, a little bit more prep. I run a I run a group. I, I used to have a channel where I, I did gay history on YouTube years ago. And I started a Facebook really? group. Mm-hmm. Wow. And I I started a Facebook group for that. And then it kind of became something else. And there's like thousands of members, and then it became a public group. Just in the last month, there are these weird bots that have started spamming the group with like animal torture videos. Wow. Like every time you log in there's like 15 new posts of like really inappropriate uncomfortable content and and Facebook I've complained lots of times they're like they can't do anything about it. I'm I like, I'm, so I'm just shutting it down. And I'm watching yeah. a lot of people have this kind of experience on on Twitter and Instagram. I don't know how much that's connected to the streaming services thing, but you're watching kind of people
1: reevaluate
0: how many streaming services do I need to pay for every month. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a weird time. I don't know. Yeah.
1: I think and you're absolutely right. I mean, it, it, things took off so much during the pandemic that they had kind of a false expectation of what their futures were going to be. And once the pandemic was over and everybody wanted to go back outside and realize they were paying a lot of money for streaming services that they weren't even watching, they began to pull back. And so that's that's a big part of this whole reevaluation thing. Yeah, I don't
0: just want to watch TV all day, every day, all the time. No,
1: exactly. Very few people that I know do. Very few people want to do anything indoors at all that I know these days. Now, Um,
0: since the last time you and I talked, you got to make a pretty prominent appearance on the Cerebro uh, podcast with uh, Connor Goldsmith discussing Annie uh, Gazakanyi and and a lot of different. Kind of characters it, i know that has had a profound uh, connor has a huge platform and a big audience and i know that's had yeah. a big effect and people have been talking I get tagged in posts that have your name on it once in a while. And it'll be like, I heard uh, I heard Chuck Austin talk to Connor and Chad and like, what a great guy. Like I'm rereading his run now and it's, I'm looking at it <laughs> very, very differently. And it's, it's kind of a revolutionary time to be an X-Men fan anyway, but it's really fun to see your arc uh, start to be remembered differently. And you putting your voice behind it recently, I think has had a lot to do with it. Uh, what was it like coming on Cerebro, and and have you had a lot of uh, positive uh, feedback or 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 people talking about things?
1: Well, I'm so I'll I'll tell you one thing. I was uh, in an interview the other day for a, a new producing job, and one of the interviewers said, "Oh, I just heard you on Cerebro," and I went, "Oh my God, are you kidding me?" He said, oh no, no, I was a big fan of your run back in the day in X Men, but I didn't tell anybody about it. So. Um, so he he was he was telling me that he'd heard on cerebro and I thought, oh my God, that's just crazy. Uh, sometimes I forget the words worlds are much more combined. I think we talked about this last time that there's a disproportionate number of comics fans that work in animation. So uh, they crop I cross paths with people all the time who are at least aware that I wrote uh, comics back in the day or wrote the X-Men back in the day so um but most of the time it doesn't really affect me i'm very far removed from it even though i'm doing a comic and you know, i'm doing edge world right now uh, pat and i are pretty deep into the thing and and uh, some other stuff that he and i are working on but i just don't i don't pay that much attention to the industry these days i mean let me uh, as we were talking about the, the sort of the hostility of the internet let me i'll, I'll sort of give you that early backstory back in 2002 or 2003
0: yeah but. yeah let's start there and well and as a segue for this i just recorded uh uh my episode on x-men the hidden years yeah one and uh jason liebig and gregory wright came on who both worked on that book and we we spent a lot of time talking just about marvel in the early 2000s i'd had they, they oh. went like seven presidents in three years yeah it was just this intense time and everything was shifting and it, w- it was, it was a crazy era. I'm starting to just barely understand. This is like when I was collecting in early college and I'm like, man, there was so much going on. I had no idea about, Yeah, it was. Uh, but, but yeah, let's, uh, let's use that as a segue. Tell, tell us about that time for you.
1: Um, well, I was just going to talk about the, the, the sort of the internet experience. Did you yeah, want to talk yeah. about something else? Oh, okay. No, 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 so, no, um, so I'd been, I'd been writing X-Men for a while and the internet was, just really sort of getting kicked off and i don't think anybody had really ever experienced internet hatred uh it hadn't really become a thing at that point uh one of the reasons that i'm remembered as uh, the most hated man x x in uh, on the x-men or the most hated writer in comics however people want to describe it is because <laughs> uh is because i was kind of the first i was the lab rat um and um, I was a member of a of an X Men fan board. They had asked me to participate to answer questions from fans and stuff. And during the course of my run, the hostility became un, untenable. I mean, it was just the people were so angry and unloading on I me. Mean, and like, and, and we've talked about Juggernaut, but Juggernaut fans, some of the Juggernaut fans were really, really angry at what I was doing with Juggernaut because they liked him as the kind of the mindless brute that went around breaking things. They didn't want him to be anything deeper or anything more. And they were so hostile. And and then I started getting death threats and my children started getting death threats. And um, I was getting, and I was, I was complaining to the the moderators on this site and they were, I, I was getting word from friends of mine who were in the meetings where the moderators were saying, Chuck's a big guy. He can handle it. And they would just leave it alone. And and then I started getting e- stuff sent to my personal email. And and I mean, we're talking about some pretty nasty stuff being said about my children. At one point, I mean, I, I met Mark Miller many times during the course of working at comics and really nice guy. I liked him a lot. He was one of those guys who pulled me aside and he said, I just want to let you know your comics are the only thing my wife will read. And I, I, I laughed but I thought, you know, it, it kind of makes sense. I hear that more and more all the time that that I have more women fans. I have more non-comics reading fans. Uh, but um, and at one point I saw him respond to a really hostile post on. He had a message board during that time that he would actually was a big participant in. And somebody was just shredding my family and talking about how they, 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 he, I needed to be killed. They needed to be killed. And Mark was like, Hey, his kids are gonna could read this stuff. This stuff is going to be out there. Can you, you know, keep a handle on it? But he wasn't actually censoring it. He wasn't actually removing it from the site. and And I thought, uh, honest to God, I've got no place to go. There's no place to turn. And after a while, it honestly did start to get to me, yeah. where um, I was attacked so much and people were so angry that I didn't when when uh, Marvel changed their direction on the X-Men, I thought this is a good time for me to just get out and get off of it, and then I went. Especially over-
0: when they formed that Walmart deal, we talked about. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. They, that was is, when that happened, and they decided they were going to change. The, I thought I, this combined with the fact that I can't even go to a convention without people coming up and screaming at me. One guy kept screaming at me at a convention about how I'd ruined his X Men and now he couldn't buy them anymore. And I, I think I. We may have joked about this last time. My response to him was, "Well, I saved you six dollars a month." You know, I'm sorry. I don't know what you want me to say. And he he was just so he just kept every time I would see him at the con, he was glaring at me. And people don't realize they think, "Oh, you know, it's just a couple of comments here and there and here and there." But when it's every place you go and every website you go to, after a while, I thought, "I'm going back to animation. I'm just, I'm not." I mean the weird
0: the weird opening for this conversation was me talking about this Facebook group because the bots keep spamming yeah. it and it's not worth it. I remember years ago reading a book. It's since been turned into a series and is pretty widely known now. Lindy West wrote a book called shrill and uh, uh she using her terminology in the book, she describes herself as a fat woman who is a writer and she very like intimately shares her story about her experience in America. And there's a, a pretty lengthy section where she talks about doing a piece on NPR uh, you can find that piece online. It's actually very brilliant. She was making comments about how misogynistic the comedy field is. And oh. people, her dad had died and people started forming accounts as if they were her father and oh, posting on God. her social media all over the place about how she should be sexually assaulted and uh, she ended up tracking down one of these trolls that was really awful and doing an interview with him on NPR about why he chose to do this. Wow. It, it's, it's a really interesting commentary. And the world hasn't changed that much. You you met Demanda Martini no. with me. Yeah. Uh, with, with Demanda was on our episode,
1: correct? I mean, don't know. I don't think so. I we oh, just be Oh
0: no, you no. Demanda D- was with Gregory Wright I'm sorry. Uh, That's my, okay. my my friend Demanda Martini is a drag queen who is getting trolled by literally the proud boys because she per, like reads praise oh, to children man. sometimes. And it's it's just it's it's a really scary thing and it makes you want to just back away and like not. Yeah. Do, so it's really bold for you to put yourself back out there and well, just sharing these stories even you know 20 years later about what this was like and let people reclaim that era of X-Men history and your
1: work there well it's it, it a lot of it has been sort of this political era that we've been going through because um you know I, you and I have talked about the, the childhood stuff before and, and, mm-hmm. uh, and we
0: talked about and, squid boy
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah we talked about squid boy we talked about juggernaut we talked about all of that stuff um and and the uh, the thing that i took away from my uh therapy when i was younger about all of that stuff is that Um, sometimes you can let the bullies continue to abuse you because you don't recognize the behavior. Well, I had learned to recognize the behavior and I would just disengage from it. when, And that was my approach when I was in comics the last time. But I realized in a lot of ways that it had put me in a box. I was not enjoying my creative life as much as I used to because I was so afraid of what people were going to say and so afraid of being attacked. In fact, I used to, I joked with Chip uh Mosier, when he first approached me about doing Edgeworld at Comixology, I said, You you know the the trolls are still gonna come out. I-, I got a call once at DreamWorks from an angry fan, believe it or not. They uh, they had seen an interview with me about Shira and called me through the the switchboard. At DreamWorks, and uh, he said, "You thought you could get away from me, but you couldn't get away from me." I was like, "Dude, <laughs> grow us, gr- get help, <laughs> you know. Jeez. Really, don't call me. Get help. This is well, a professional it, work environment, you know. Don't- yeah, and
0: it it reaches a point where it's like stalker <laughs> level levels of inappropriate, but it it is industry wide. And when I say industry, we're talking the arts in yeah. And being online is an act of bravery sometimes. I know uh Teeny Howard and Leah Williams and Vita Ayala and Charlie Jane Anders and a lot of more modern X-Men writers who are female or Or transgender or gender non-conforming can get a lot of hate online too. Yeah, Uh, and and when you insult like a white straight guy online, you say certain words, and when it's a woman or a person of color or a queer person, people use different kinds of words that are a little bit more divisive. And it could it's a dangerous place out there sometimes. And
1: Uh, and people don't know, and people don't realize it, but it does. Even, uh, and you and I were supposed to talk about Shira at some point because I know you 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 and your family were really into it. So we love it um but while i was working on shira there was a lot of talk about you know this is a great the show was run primarily by women and i was entirely supportive of that happy to take a back seat and let it go but we would be in meetings and they would make old white men jokes all the time and i at one point i had to say you know that's also inappropriate um particularly when it's it's almost a constant kind of thing where every time i go into a meeting and somebody says oh well old white guys run the world or old white guys are ruining the world i'm on old white guy okay come on let's not go there so um and i am doing my level best to help you to get yeah. this show out there so um so yeah it's, i am your
0: it's, i am your ally not your enemy yeah, yeah. exactly
1: so uh, i mean that's and that's not to take anything away from anybody else's negative experiences i'm just saying that sometimes people forget that Abuse can run in all different directions, and different, you know. And and I applaud. Oh my God, the woman who interviewed her stalker or her, her yeah, atormentor. yeah, Libby
0: West. I'll find that for you later and send you. Uh, say, yeah, please. Is, it's a few years back, but it's it's a pretty phenomenal interview. It's it's intense, it, and uh, she did a show about this on. I think it was Hulu. It's called Shrill uh, by yeah. Bryant. There's a version of her story that was told there. It's, it's I'll, uh,
1: Yeah, I'll have to track that down. Uh, my son, one of my favorite, my son's favorite documentarians is a guy who interviewed, a black man who interviewed uh, a grand wizard of the KKK. And over the course of time, they became friends. And the grand wizard renounced his racism and um, the he had the black guy as his uh, godfather to his child. So- uh, mm-hmm. I, you know, I believe that people can grow and change. Sometimes they just have to change, take, you know, they have to get out of their environment. A lot of these people are very proud of what they're doing. And the people that they talk to think it's super cool that they're being insulting to the, to the man, to the boss, to the whoever. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, and it's one of the reasons why I don't recommend that people write uh, for comics as a first job, as much as it can be a great uh, learning experience it's a completely different marketplace. It's a marketplace that is designed specifically for people with preconceived notions about what the characters are supposed to be. Sure. So so the the ratio of uh, of angry fans is much higher than it would be if you were to create your own property or your own idea.
0: Uh, I hear from fans regularly who love a particular character and write their fan fiction and like, man, you you can't go write comics from that as a standard unless you're a huge yeah. You got to build a craft as a writer first. Yeah. Yeah. That's, a, that's a clear difference from the rest uh we could talk for hours and hours like we could love that uh no no please i i i really enjoy uh connecting with you and i uh uh, just again, you did, you did a great job on the Cerebro show. Uh, I know people are really responding and it's really fun to have you back on again. Thanks. Uh, it's always a blast. I'll probably invite you a few more times. We'll see. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, there's still some very obscure characters that we can talk about.
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah. On my main show, it's always the, the issues, but this channel, I get to focus on the obscure. I, there's like a little list of, of characters I specifically want to talk to you about. One of them is the character Maximus Lobo. Yeah. Who I reread all of his appearances last night. There are not many. There's only about eight. <laughs> yeah.
1: And <laughs> uh, I think I wrote but, most of them.
0: But I read it differently than uh than I had before because I'm looking specifically for this character, for his motivations. Uh you used Lobo toward the end of your run on Uncanny X-Men 417 through 420. I th- well, you came back and did some more arcs after that. You were kind of like moving around from title to title a little bit back yeah. then, if I'm remembering yeah. all that correctly. I uh, was, th- yeah. But this this is the uh, this, the arc called "Dominant Species." Uh, this is uh, a, a lot about like Nurse Annie and Polaris coming back and acting very crazy. We're not going to cover those parts. Uh, Nightcrawler also going through like a faith crisis because Stacey X is really horny for him, so he goes to visit his priest. That's another that's another part of this story. But we're going to focus primarily on uh, on the Maximus Lobo stuff. You were working with uh, Kia Asimia at the time, uh, yeah. Who poor guy is
1: just a great artist. Tell us a little bit about working with Kia. Kia was absolutely fantastic um and in in a in a way he deserved a better um creative partner than me not that not and, and that's not me being um uh too dismissive of my writing uh it's more about I was the third tier guy so uh and this goes directly to your your talk about Maximus Lobo uh everybody else had all the great villains and uh literally, Mike said, well, we want to develop up some of our other villains. And I said, well, which villains do you want? Which villains can I use? And he and and Mike Rache, Mike Martz and Mike Rache sat down and put a list together of villains that were available to me and they sent them and they were all like people I'd never heard of, like Maximus Lobo. So um, I had to go and and research some of those characters and and Lobo had some things about him that we can talk about as we go along that um, made him appeal to me but now I
0: understood I understood Lobo appeared for the first time in your title was he pre-existing
1: he pre-existed me yeah so there's a there's a there's a storyline that you're missing somewhere or like a an issue or two someplace he was like a I think he was a spider-man villain
0: Maximus Lobo I uh, I'm on his wiki page I think he first showed up in Uncanny X Men Four Seventeen. Well, uh, if 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 and if and on it says created by Chuck Austin and Kia Asamiya.
1: No, wasn't created by us at all. Fascinating. Um, yeah, no, he was a pre-existing. Yeah, uh, uh, try an old um, Marvel handbook and uh, look for and look for Lobo yeah Not you're Maxima talking Slobo.
0: you're talking to like the handbook
1: guy i like oh yeah
0: and i'm like hmm, what did i miss here <laughs>
1: yeah okay if you're the handbook guy then you, you should be able to find him i don't think he had it. a first I'm gonna, name i'm
0: gonna google while we're talking and find what i missed so readers you get a you get a or listeners you get to experience this live with me uh do you <laughs> remember some of the other characters that were on that list and if you don't it is completely okay
1: I, I don't, but I, I remember them being on a level of like paste pot Pete, you know, I mean, it was just, there just weren't, a, there weren't a lot of good villains left over. And the thing is, Kia is is amazing. He's a, he's a, he's a longtime experienced creator, super wealthy. He's done some amazing stuff. I mean, fans probably know him better for the the Batman stuff that he did uh, when he was in Japan. He got a publisher to license Batman so that he could create his own Batman manga because he was such a huge fan. He owns uh, movie costumes of the bat suits and the Batmobile uh, that he keeps on his estate uh he in fact we were having dinner with him i think it was in toronto at a convention where he came and agreed to meet us and we're just having this great conversation um and he we we were talking to him about how the sales are different between the united states and and japan and i i asked him i said well he said, well, yeah, I've got a book coming out tomorrow. And I said, well, what are the, what do you think the sales are going to be like that? And he said, well, the initial print run is 1.2 million. Mm. And I went, Whoa. everybody at the table, the, the table just went silent. It was like me, David Finch. And, um, I don't remember who else, maybe Jeff Johns was there, but there was just a bunch of us that were just like, what the <laughs> Shocked. obviously 1.2 million is massive first print numbers. And, uh, uh, and it may have even been higher. I'm remembering 1.2 million. It could have been even higher than that. But, um, but that's the kind of level of star he is in Japan for the work that he had done. So yeah, he had yeah. he had expressed an interest in doing the X-Men, hoping that he would get a chance to like draw Magneto and draw some of the other more powerful villains of the uh, even Sauron. I think he would have been happier with than Maximus Lobo. Um, and then he, as we got into it, uh, he actually he got nervous. He was such a huge X-Men fan that we, I had, you know, we, through the, the editor, CB Cebulski was the editor on that project. Cause he was, he, he had all the manga connections and, and uh he's, I think he was the one who kind of got in touch with, got us to, to bring Kia in, in the first place. Um But he, he wound up uh getting a little nervous about the whole process, even though he was working on uh, a, not necessarily a, a top tier group or a top tier character it was still the x-men to him and so um i you know tried to do what i could to make it work for him and i said what can i do to make this um uh, a better experience for you so um through cb we had a bit of a short conversation and and he got going and everything was fine i loved working with him he's a tremendous storyteller
0: He's a great artist. Okay, so I just did a bit of research. Are you ready? Okay, I'm ready. In Spectacular Spider-Man, volume two, number 143. And this these are characters created by Jerry Conway and Salva Shema in uh, 1988. There are two vampire, not vampire, werewolf mutant guys named Carlos and Eduardo Lobo who fight Spider-Man. And I have not read these comics in several years, so I would have to go back. But from what I understand on the site is, at least on the Marvel database, these characters are not considered to be the same character that you have in your run. So it it's interesting because it looks like they've interpreted your guy Maximus Lobo to be a completely separate character than the Lobo brothers. But I think yeah. it probably could be easily retconned because Maximus Lobo has a gang of werewolves. It could be easily uh, retconned to have these guys be part of his gang, but it appears to me at least <laughs> that Maximus is considered to be an original character created by you.
1: Yeah, that, that that may be the way it kind of turned out, but that it kind of turned out that way only because we didn't, uh, in the in the office i don't think we knew the full story of maximus lobo when was that 1988 it was jerry Conway. yeah so the lobo so,
0: brothers their names are carlos and eduardo lobo uh they're from mexico and uh yeah again i'll I'll have to go back and read the story it looks like they have some affiliation with the kingpin uh they were brought back oh they were brought back in uh, the recent scarlet spider series in 2013 by chris yost uh, but I'll, that, that's kind of the only two times they've ever shown up. I'll try to do an addendum listeners. I'll, uh, I'll go read those issues and do like an addendum at the end of this recording. So I can summarize the history of the Lobo brothers in conjunction with this, but they're listed as mutant werewolves, which would totally fit this theme.
1: Yeah. I mean, that was, that's why I did it is they were, they were looking to build out characters that they, that are, they already own that they, that were mutants that would make good villains and to try to make them into, you know, a, Hopefully, top tier X Men villains, and and at the time,
0: episodes. It's such an education, really.
1: But I, I, I honestly, I would guess, because, like I said, this was back before internet databases and stuff. I think I would guess that. There was not a strong understanding of who the Lobo brothers were, because I was only told about one Lobo brother. Nobody knew if he had a first name. So this was intended to be building out on on, the, on Lobo, who was an old Spider-Man villain. So that's all I remember. Now so we apparently, part- I remember better than I thought, because you actually found him as a <laughs> Spider-Man villain. So there you go.
0: We uh, now we we uh, we talked a little bit about how you were kind of building out a longer storyline of the idea of evolutionary sects of mutants. Yeah, so there's uh, there's like Azazel and his guys and you and I will talk about Azazel another time, uh, which (laughs) I I consider doing Azazel today. Azazel has been announced to be part of uh, Steve Fox's uh, new Dark X-Men series being released this fall. And okay. I thought we could we could like do we could like talk Azazel up to then, but there's going to be more Azazel history coming then, so we'll save that conversation until we know a little bit about more about what Steve Fox's plans are. But you Steve know, is I love, friend, Steve is a you, friend of mine through this show, and he, I'm super excited about what he's doing there. Uh, it, it's gonna right. be fun.
1: Well, you know I love any opportunity to talk to my fellow Reed Richards hair guy. So
0: <laughs> <laughs> With my silver temples. The I'm getting grayer temples. all the time. And the longer my hair gets, the grayer I get. It's uh, I'll dye it at a certain point until uh, boys stop going, hey, I like your cute hair.
1: Yeah, that's <laughs> funny. Yeah, that's really funny. The uh, worst part I, though, is when, when I you get it, it d- cut and it's it shows up more silver than you thought.
0: It does, but it's it's more prominent when it's long. I uh, I buzzed my head for years, and then I grew my hair out in COVID. And now I've got hair again. My my husband's happy about that. Uh, <laughs> when I messaged Chuck, uh, hey, they're using azazel, and Chuck responded, "It's the mutant who will not die." <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, even I get even even people that I run into here. Say, what were you thinking about about his? The guy who called me a DreamWorks was pissed off about his Azel. So I, I know that there are people that really like him and people that absolutely despise him. So it's a polarizing character for sure. I
0: have a lot of thoughts on this character. But one of the things, uh, and I've always tried to do this on this show, uh, where I try to read everything, even the stuff I didn't like, and look at it with a positive eye, with an understanding that the industry changes things. And Sometimes things don't come across the way that people intended. And often people are rushed. They're putting out a new book every month and it's turnaround, go, 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 go. But in our
1: case, if I can interrupt you quickly, in our case, it was two books every month. Sure. Yeah. yeah.
0: And one of the things I've learned from talking to you and a few other key people is uh, there's more to it than you realize, even though I was trying to do a lot of that already. So I've been working really hard to look for the redeeming value in everything rather than coming in as a critic, but coming in as a fan. And it's it's kind of changed the way I've done the show a little bit. I'm Meeting you has been awesome. around for me on a personal level because I like you a lot, but also <laughs> it's changing the way I'm trying to approach difficult content. Uh, so yeah. Uh, I'm I'm happy about that. And I actually have a lot of good things to say about Azazel another time. Uh, Okay. So you're telling these stories, you're, you're establishing evolutionary camps of mutants, which makes sense in a lot of ways, because there are, there are, God, how many telepaths are there? How many people who generate force fields and, or generate illusions are there? How many Wolverine guys with claws and like big hairy things on their back? Every mutant team has one there. These are these huge characters so let's begin there. Tell me some of the thoughts you had about this kind of evolutionary camps of mutants. You look over the list, you see these werewolf guys, and you're like, let's do this story. Give me a little bit of the uh the lead-in to dominant species, if you will.
1: Sure. Um, well, the uh the initial sort of sell-in idea for me um running the series was uh was Kind of centering it around juggernaut and sammy as being these two new characters at the x-men and then telling kind of individualized stories about um uh, about the x-men world so um i don't remember the titles of them all but like fall down go boom um where the um uh, north star tries to save the the young kid mm-hmm. uh, who's who's blown up his family with his uncontrolled powers uh and the story where uh they're at the cemetery and uh 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 warren uh, heals the the child of of a man who's trying to get skin dug up at the the cemetery i don't remember the name of that story but um uh the those individualized stories were kind of what i intended to do for the for my run you know kind of like uh my version of kind of twilight zone e stories featuring yeah. the x-men kind of thing and those are the things that mike march used to tell me that he liked the most Him and mike rage both really liked those a lot but but the way that everything was shifting at that particular time is it was finally starting to shift into the trade paperback format where every, they wanted to have five issues of continuous storylines because people were waiting to buy the trade paperbacks and they wanted a, a longer fuller more complete experience rather than individualized stories so so that they in once I'd taken over the book and we'd started off, and they also said, we don't want it to be the Sammy and Juggernaut show. We want it to be you know, all of the characters and, and have them used in equal ways. And they also had a bunch of characters that they wanted me to use. Because either they were available, they were the, they were favorites within the office, or they they would get a lot of mail. Like uh, North Star was a beloved character that people kept asking to be put on the X-Men. So when they asked if I'd want to write him, they said, you know, nobody else wants him. Can you? Would you be interested? And I said, yeah, I'd love him. I'll take him. Uh, I would love to write North Star. So, um, so that's kind of how things started to evolve. And then when I had to come up with a storyline, there was the was it the the church, the church story where it starts off with everybody's been executed. They wanted to Marvel came to me and said, look, there are too many characters that have the same powers and we wanted to get rid of a bunch of them. Have you got a way to get rid of them? And I said, well, Joe Casey's got this has created this, you know, church of humanity, which I think could be a really cool idea. We could just have them do something horrific and start off with a bunch of dead mutants on the front lawn of, and Mike goes, Oh, that's awesome. Let's do that. So, um, Unf- that was and this is where we can get into it further but it's it's all a huge learning experience for me as i'm going along here too so we thought we'll start that and the outrage about killing skin was way more than anybody expected sure and uh what and particularly because i think we talked about this the last time but i'm i'm a huge mad magazine fan so i, I loved angela torres the artist who was he's he was kind of the uh the other guy to mort trucker at the time in mad magazine uh and i love them both um but you know those are those are the first guys that i tried to copy that's what my I, my own personal art style tends to gravitate towards is a kind of a caricature style uh, uh, a kind of a mad magazine comedy style and um so i got angelo espinoza's name wrong and a lot of the fans were upset about that they felt like oh you just killed him off and you didn't even bother to get his name right and and when i heard that i it it triggered a lot of things first it made me realize holy holy cow there are fans of every character yep and you you can't just willy-nilly Destroy them because this is a fan, an exclusively fan market. It's not like this comics really reached out to the general audience even at that point. In fact, one of the reasons they wanted me to try to write stories outside of the marketplace is because the market had already started to contract at that point. So that they were talking about the death of the industry. So this is this goes back to the nineteen nineties that they were anticipating the the business collapse because they couldn't reach out beyond the f- the fan marketplace into the general marketplace and get the sales like they used to that made it worthwhile for them to continue publishing at a loss so so they asked me to try to reach a general audience and and part of that was to make all the characters unique but in the process of thinking about all of that stuff that happened with skin i thought well what if we had a what if there's a reason for all of these characters to be showing up with all of their unique and individual powers and what if they're all what if this is like a genetic uh, thing that happens every, say, five thousand years or more or less, whatever, uh, and the 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 and the gene pool starts spitting out variations to see which one's going to survive and which one's going to be and I because I was thinking about Neanderthals and CroMagnons and and uh and homo sapiens and all of them supposedly coexisting at the same t- same time and then then a lot of them just suddenly died off and i thought well what if they all died off because dominant species which one is going to be the winner so i started seeing that as an as a great x-men story that that the they could all start clustering together like you know the the sort of the uh and then i then am uh, sorry this is a very complicated idea but and you're I, doing and, great okay um so you would have the wolverines together and you would have the angels together and you would have the the night crawlers together and you would have the uh the skins together and you would have the cannonballs together and all of those people would start to gravitate towards each other having having sort of a similar and it, and weirdly it sort of became like how society had started to happen as we were as we were growing and even into today i think you've could easily argue that people find their own silo of, of friendships and information based on what their own preconceived ideas and, and senses are all about. Right. I mean, you know, you get um, people who are, who, who like chocolate ice cream all talking to other people who like chocolate ice cream and they don't like people who like vanilla ice cream they just aren't even that's like let's go and then it gets to the point where they well, let's go destroy those people who have vanilla ice cream and make them eat chocolate ice cream so i was thinking about this back in 2002 or or 2000 i think is when i took over the book and i thought okay well i'll get i'll start building it up to this point where um characters all start to come together for different reasons but i also my sort of thing is that i also like the fact that those best laid plans don't always work out the way they're supposed to and the x-men will wind up staying as a cohesive whole because of their uniqueness and sort of put down everything else and then what we were moving towards was a world of greater diversity which is i know weirdly sort of where we wound up but um, that's where I think the world is going to continue to move and people are going to continue to be angry about it. There are going to be continue to be battles and, uh, fought over that particular subject. So, so Azazel was from the first period of massive, uh, um, uh, genetic. Well, I think, uh, it was, I think, uh, Stephen Gould is the, is the, um, the geneticist that I was uh, researching when I was doing this, he was, uh, and he wrote about something called punctuated equilibrium. I think we talked. We're about We're literally going to talk well. about that today. Okay. So, <laughs> and it may have been my misunderstanding of punctuated equilibrium, at least the way that, that I read it. But it's still whatever the, his whatever he really meant. I, it made for me. It made a great story. So I thought, okay, there was a period in the past, and there's even a line in the Azazel story where Azazel's sidekick says. He wears the garb of the angels when he's talking about Warren. And what he's talking about is that period in the the book of Enoch where the angels and the demons went at each other. Right. So, and they were trying to dominate the earth and wound up both instead receding from the earth entirely into their own dimensions. So, Azazel is not, he's not the devil. He is a genetic mutant from far far in the past who was cast into a dimension that everybody equates with hell. So he is essentially, he is, he is what myth has turned into Satan, but he's really, he's just, it's like it's so many things that we discover as we go along, there is a scientific basis for a lot of the things that happen in, in myth. Uh, I bet at some point we're even going to find out why Achilles could be killed uh, by being shot in his heel. Sure, um, But um. Uh, the uh, the initial story was that Azazel and his band tried to take over the planet. The angels stepped in, also wanting to take over the planet, and the two of them wound up getting cast aside so that the so that humanity could develop as it was on its own. And so this was going to be a kind of a repeat of that. And so the Azazel thing was supposed to kind of announce the beginning of that phase. Uh, and that's why that line is in there about um, he wears the garb of the angels because they're just talking about about the Book of Enoch. He's talking about the angels and the demons and the and the giants and the Nephilim and all of that stuff. So, so
0: let me interject here quickly. And I'm just yeah. going to like zoom way out at Marvel for a minute. We have writers that are constantly re-interpre- reinterpreting the mythos that are constantly adding new details. Here's two recent stories in the X-Men, and I'll keep this really quick because they're very continuity dense. Okay. You, you, you know what Krakoa is, giant size X-Men do. number one. They land on Krakoa. They shoot this island that eats people into space. In the recent times, the X-Men are living on Krakoa. And Jonathan Hickman has established that there were two previous giant civilizations of mutants in, like, prehistory millions of years ago. And one of them disappeared. The other went into, like, a, a, a one of them was wiped out, I mean. And the other went into, like, another dimension. And this is kind of where Apocalypse comes from. They put a bunch of that into it. Steve Orlando just did a big series where there are, uh, in the modern, modern Marauders, Kate Pride leads a team... And I'm summing up a whole bunch of stuff that's very complicated. But basically, they end up using genetic mutant DNA, putting it into uh, billions of years ago via time travel, and then it becomes these robust economies of mutants that existed in those previous times. One of those mutants evolves into Krakoa. So there's, oh, wow. a, there's a mutant from billions of years ago that is time traveled back to the past that eventually becomes Krakoa over time. There's now a mutant civilization on Mars. Uh, Chris Claremont did this with the Neo where there's an established race. Marvel, if you zoom out again, there's things like the subterraneans and the the lava yeah. men and all these like genetic offshoots of of characters all over the place. For you to do a story like this in Marvel Comics proper... It's one version of this story, but it fits right into all of the evolutionary offsets of mutants that already exist and will continue to be established as we read. You've got yeah. to and listeners, I think it's really important when you're reading stories like this. you've got to put it into the wider scope of things. There's all kinds of characters the uh the the crimson from uh X Factor in like the 50s run we will we won't talk about that, but there's all these like ideas of offshoots. there's a fucking city of vampires in Marvel right now. (laughs) It's like they have their own civilization and laws, uh, and some of them are superheroes. So I think it's a really smart concept. And I think you were building up to something big. And I know those stories got taken from you and shuffled around a few times. But for you to look at a list and see a couple of random Spider-Man werewolf guys and to turn it into the story (laughs) is actually really impressive, Chuck. I think it's pretty great.
1: Oh, well, uh, thank you. That's very kind of you to say Um, a a lot of it is that just a lot of the questions that float around in fandom now are the same questions that were floating around then Uh, like, Oh, is this the, you know, how come all of a sudden just in modern times, these mutants are starting to show up. How come they never showed up in the past? And so you would take that conversation and you go, I don't know. That's a good question. Why didn't they show up in the past? So I can't really claim any uh, special psychic powers or, or, you know, genius creativity i was just the one thing about me that marvel did like at the time is that my brain works very tangentially and so when they would say something like hey can you take over this character husk and i said okay um what does she do what are her powers what happens to her skins after she peel, sloughs them off and they don't know the answers to those then i'll go oh okay i got a story idea for that so um so that's a, a lot of what this is and i think and and, and the th- I. sort of to the point that you had earlier where you were saying that you're trying to see the the upside and the bright side of this keep in mind that these because i'm so removed from it now i I don't care what they've done with my concepts or ideas i don't (laughs) care where they run them i really don't um at times there's a part of me that like wishes that i could do another superman story or another juggernaut story but most of the time i'm generally fine that i'm not in the business anymore and, and writing you know writing the stuff that i'm doing with pat i love that stuff but um The, uh, it's, it's, oh man, see, I went on a tangent and I lost my whole point. No, you're
0: okay. Let me take the reins for actually just a second. One of the things that I've loved and, and getting to know you and seeing your arc, you took these characters you didn't get your first pick, right? You, you chose who was available. You got Nightcrawler and you took Nightcrawler on a journey where he's exploring what his faith is and he discovers who his father is you got angel and we're about to talk about angel inheriting kind of his family's legacy and learning what it means to reckon with this giant company that he hasn't ever taken responsibility for yeah. you got husk and you explained her power sets you gave us a love story uh you got you get juggernaut and you told us when we did the squid boy episode squid boy was created right from the beginning to die and juggernaut yeah. is the uh the the anti-hero who's becoming part of the team you did a great job like this is solid storytelling your havoc and Annie and hilarious stuff we've talked about in more detail yeah. let me delve let me delve into dominant species for just a moment and then we'll talk about uh, maximus lobo specifically sure. uncanny x-men number 417 opens with a human boy named david who's in love with a mutant girl with curved horns named mandy and i love you no matter what but a group of human bigots attack them and then a giant werewolf monster comes out of the shadows and just slaughters them Uh, That's kind of the opening of the story. Mandy stays alive, but he wants to kill things that are less. The uh, the caption says mutant kind will not be preyed upon. Oh, excuse me. This is Maximus speaking. Mutant kind will not be preyed upon. We are the future. We are the inheritors of the earth. Uh, news breaks out that uh, Warren, uh, Warren Worthington's company has got all these problems. Uh, Lobo Enterprises, which is a subsidiary of the company, is causing all of these environmental issues. Uh, meanwhile, the X-Men have uh, started tracking these mutant killers, these werewolf guys, and they tie it back to this company. Lobo Enterprises, which is part of the Worthington. Uh, uh, so let's let's begin there. Sure. You, you chose to do this story with Worthington Industries, this giant company which has very rarely been used uh, as even part of Warren's thing. Sometimes they'll say, "Oh, it's he's funding this," or <laughs> yeah, it's something we'd seen in the past a little bit. And we actually just reviewed these issues from 1970 on my show, where Warren's evil uncle Dazzler kills his dad, and then later he tries to marry his mom, but she dies, and now he's in jail. That's his uncle Bert. And uh, you chose to kind of take that and tie it into Angel's character, but also tie it into Lobo and make this kind of this evil part of his corporation that that Angel was never aware about. Can we talk about that uh, that choice for a minute?
1: Yeah, um, uh, that has to do with something that I think they want to actually, it's something similar they picked up on in the Iron Man movie, um, where, you know, the, the, the titular head of a corporation doesn't always know what the entire corporation is doing. Um, and so, uh, and I wanted to play with the idea that Warren was, he had disengaged it, it again, it all tied into sort of the future direction of the plans that I was going with this stuff that he had disengaged from his company, not seeing the, because as, as angel, as what was becoming a, a beneficent and, uh, and, um, uh, healing kind of personality uh, didn't see how the corporation he didn't want to be a part of the corporation because he did know that too much of corporate greed and corporate running a business is about paying the dividends to the stockholders it's not about doing the right thing necessarily in the business so what i was going to do is to start have him recognizing that um, okay maybe i can maybe i can Take this attitude, but by taking this attitude, the company is actually moving in a darker direction because of what's going on with this logo corporation that they've incorporated, and that's going to wind up taking over my business if I don't start paying attention. And I can take my corporation and I can make it uh, something that benefits humanity, as opposed to just takes advantage of humanity. I can actually, I own it. I can make it work, and it 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 tied into the whole healing kind of thing eventually he that was where he was going to start building his company out to being something really magnificent and angelic and that was going to draw the other angels more towards him as the as we got into the dominant species thing but a big part of that was recognizing that he had his company had gotten out of his own control uh had started moving on a dark path and that he needed to start paying more attention to what it was doing or to sell it and get out of it entirely so So that's that's what that was leading to
0: Angels business this evolutionary like sect of like werewolf mutants uh Angels history and then we're also working in uh th- these mutant werewolves off this random list so
1: like we're yeah.
0: this, is, this is a pretty impressive story but th- this is not the only story being told in these issues other efforts we're just going to focus on this one specifically yeah
1: there's there are all kinds of other I mean some of them I don't even remember and all my bo- my comics are Boxes, so I couldn't prep for this interview. Oh, sorry, I,
0: I did the prep. You're doing amazing. So, uh, Maximus Lobo is this giant man. He has a human form. He shifts into this very dark, furred, crazy, powerful mutant. It specifically references that his bones are able to rival Wolverine's Adamantium. He slashes the shit out of Wolverine in his very yeah. first appearance. To the point where Northstar has to run Wolverine back to the X-Mansion to get medical help, yep. leaving Angel and Husk behind. Yeah. Uh, the For for listeners who may be more familiar, uh, the character that kind of most resembles Maximus Lobo to me is the character Romulus, who I don't think you've ever heard of, Chuck. And we'll talk about him yeah. another time. But he's he's a big, giant, wolfy guy who fights Wolverine a few times. And uh, he's there, there's a little bit of parallel there. Uh, He's also got a pack of werewolves and we get the idea that these are all individual mutants who have all got similar power sets. There's these very savage guys. There does seem to be an element of kind of groupthink to them. Uh, Like uh, Maximus Lobo seems to be influencing the werewolves. He's the alpha in the pack. He's making them work for him and they, they like repeat what he says. Uh, He's going on and on about following Darwin's law. So here's one speech from 418. I am Maximus Lobo, and we are the future of this world mutant, the dominant species. We simply obey Darwin's law, natural selection, survival of the fittest, laws of nature which supersede the piddly rights of the fearful and soft homo sapiens, rights which, since you believe, uh, puts you and me in competition. And you also, as they're having this big savage fight, Angel and Husk are not faring well against these guys. And it's yeah. deadly, but you do it in a way that you know doesn't push it too far. <laughs> I don't think for yeah. kids to read it. Uh, you also talk a lot about Natural selection in the caption boxes, uh, punctuated equilibrium, which is something you brought up a moment ago, which is the idea that there is uh, like isolated episodes of like very rapid evolution and then long periods of no change afterward, which I think is documented in a lot of different types of species And you're really putting hard here uh, the idea of the savagery of all this. And then exploring the idea of what it means to actually be the survival of the fittest. Like, do we grow to be kinder? What does being the dominant species mean? Is it because we stomp on people or is it because we evolve and change and accept? Uh, So before I get farther, well, actually, let me cover the rest of this arc quickly and then I'll turn it over to you. Go right ahead. Uh, Angel and Husk have like several moments of we like each other. Angel, and we won't work this into the story much today, but he's he's kind of being haunted by Psylocke, who is gone and wants him to move on. And uh, this idea that her telepathic message, but went to both him and Husk, that she wants him to be happy. Uh, in the end, all of the X-Men gather, Iceman, Nightcrawler, Juggernaut, Northstar, uh, come and they fight hard and... Lobo basically blows up the building and and runs away, and that that's kind of yeah. the uh that's kind of how this story goes, and he's he's off to to fight them another day. Uh, the very end of your captions, which I was just exploring, I'm gonna read this last caption section in 420, and then let me hear your your thoughts on this whole art. Sure. We mutants, and this is Angel narrating. We mutants consider ourselves the dominant species, the evolved inheritors of the earth. That being the superior species means to be the dominant species. It's science versus the human need to believe in something more than science. Logic rising from the shadows of mysticism. As if the two are mutually exclusive. Are they? I would have to say no. There is room in our world for both. A need in our world for both. Nature may guide us in directions or relationships of her choosing with pheromones, jealousy, rage, pretty smiles, or similarities of design. But our brains, our minds, our hearts allow us to learn from life and alter those decisions for the greater good of all. Moral good in opposition to physical drives. That is what could make us, make anyone really, a superior species. This is a strong story, Chuck Austin. It's really Thank you. good uh, tell me Thank your you. thoughts on hearing this kind of uh recap
1: um it's weird because I hear that and I don't remember writing it but I <laughs> uh, I mean you've so written a few things since then. <laughs> I have written a few things this thing but but you know what the, the the sort of the sense is still the same. I mean it's this it's it's funny because as much as people hated what I was doing and uh, and this this arc in particular, Um, this is what made me valuable in LA, uh, because I had a, I had developed in the course of doing this working with, and I have to give Mike Rach and Mike, Mike Martz, a lot of credit for working really well with me. It it built my story sense and my storytelling sense to such a level that when I came to LA, it made me really valuable. Um, and it really helped when I did work on things like Shiro, where I could go through and I could say, Okay, we're not hitting this story point strongly enough. We need to, oh, we didn't, we, we lost track of this thread as we were moving forward. So uh, but what because what and what people hated and were complaining about were their sort of their personal viewpoints. Like most people that read this hated it because of that's what you mentioned earlier, that Maximus Lobo takes out Wolverine with a swipe. And my whole point was to show disguise this guy's serious. This guy means business, but all they could think of was it would never happen. And that's because they have a preconceived notion about what the character can and can't do or experience. in in the course of, uh, of just being Wolverine, uh, Oh, he would have, he would have parried. He would have survived. He would have gotten away. But if you don't do things like that, you don't have a story. That's what i am always trying to tell people, particularly when we're working in, even when I'm working in animation, you know, the show showrunners will come to me and say, well, so-and-so, they, they they would do this just because they're really strong. And I said, okay, but then what do you do for the next 20 minutes of your episode? <laughs> okay. Hey, uh, they... This
0: is a quick aside. I remember reading an interview by Kurt Busiek after writing Defenders Volume 2. There's a random, there's this old woman with like a, she's like a corpse magic lady. And she like blasts super or Silver server out of the sky. And I remember a reader writing in and being like, there's no way that could fucking happen. And and Kurt Busiek's response was, it did happen. Go back and read yeah. it. You can see that she was powerful enough to do that. So that's all you yeah.
1: need for <laughs>
0: For your cat, yeah which is you know this is what happened yeah it's and this a, was
1: interesting thing and this was part of the what Mike Marts was asking for. he wanted a top level scary villain for the X-Men. he wanted somebody who could compete above their level and and literally make them fearful for their lives, which as you described, just just staying short of the censors later on with with Paige and and Warren, Um, I, I did, but if I, if, you know, if I was doing an HBO series, there would have been blood all over the place. There would have been dead mutants, you know, I mean, it would have been a whole different story. So, so the one thing, and that's what, and again, that's the thing that I remember, I think of as my biggest takeaway from this is that I understand that people hated this story for their particular reasons. But from my standpoint, I look at it and go, "I, I would do this as a TV series, you know? <laughs> it's, it's, it's pretty strong. Let's shift the conversation
0: a little. Well, uh, actually I have one question. You clearly did your research around uh, Darwin and you, like you used the terms and the evolutionary concepts are there. Was that fun for you to go back and look into that? Or the, was that something you were very interested in already at the time?
1: Oh, I've always been interested in research. I love learning new things. And my ex-wife used to tease me all the time. She said, "You, I think you just should become a researcher and just stop, you know, like, Worrying about writing at that time, we were going through a down slump and selling stuff here in LA. Um, and I said, I thought well, maybe I should because I really do. I, I, I love and learn so much of it. The biggest problem is that be, not being a scientist, sometimes I'll read that stuff, I think I'll understand it, but then I will use it incorrectly, and then the scientists still get bothered by what I did. So, um, <laughs> you know, you do your best, you try your hardest, uh, and it's it's like, it's like, um, uh, you know, when I was uh, when I was doing that other interview, uh, and they were one of the interviewees was surprised that uh, I had based Juggernaut in Marvel continuity based on J Two, because I researched the hell out of Juggernaut and found out that he. there was a a mini series that, or it was intended to be an ongoing series about J two young juggernaut the the son of juggernaut and Mm -hmm. juggernaut had gone off and married a a lawyer. And that what I was doing with Sammy was bridging the gap between those two series. I was getting juggernaut ready to become a parent. And, um, and it was the first time that anybody realized, Oh, he actually did research this. <laughs> so yeah, I do. I research it all. And sometimes I miss things. Everybody misses things. God, it's you know.
0: It's pretty good. We're going to talk about She Lies with Angels another time, which is your Romeo and Juliet tribute in the X-Men. We'll, we'll get there a, a, another time, which is a uh, sure. own story. But I really enjoy how you did these arcs. It's really it's really impressive. Now, you. we you've covered a lot of continuity. There was a point where you shifted to Exiles for a while. And yeah. Exiles is a series uh, that I actually... Genuinely love. It's so fun. It's like the quantum leap of X-Men. You've got a team of random characters from other realities, uh, Mimic and Blink and Sabretooth and uh, uh Sasquatch, who is a black Heather Hudson. Uh, there's there's these characters, Morph, of course, is beloved from this series. Uh, how did you end up on Exiles? I know you were on it for a little while, and then we'll talk about your uh, your Maximus Lobo story there.
1: Um It's fairly, I think I can, I can talk about it now. I wasn't supposed to talk about it then, but Judd Winnick had just signed a contract with DC to go and write exclusively for them. And that meant that he couldn't write on, he had worked out a deal with them where he could take a break and come back to exiles because he loved writing the exiles and wanted to keep doing it. But um, uh, for those who don't know or don't remember i keep forgetting this is like 20 years ago oh my god um (laughs) uh, judd winnick was a uh he he became kind of a star on that show uh that uh, mtv show um the real world yeah Uh, yeah he was a comic book artist and writer really talented he wound up doing a couple of uh small things in in traditional comics and then wound up getting uh offered a number of series and exiles was one of them and people loved what he was doing but when he left, they needed somebody who could sort of take over and not disrupt what he had done too much so that he could come back at some future date. And so uh, being as it was all run out of the the, the Marvel office, and, and actually, I, I didn't leave X-Men to do that. I was doing that, I think, concurrently. With the, my X Men run, uh, Rach and and Martz asked me to to help out on that. And Mike Rach said, "Look, you know," I said, "Look, I'm I'm writing so much stuff. I really," <laughs> and and Mike Rach said, "Look, I'll help you. I'll we'll work with it. We'll I'll work with it on it with you. We'll work on it together." And I went, "Okay, that's great. Let's do that." Uh, Cause I didn't know the histories of all these characters. And I thought I love research, but I just don't have the time to dive in and, and like figure out who all these characters are and what their histories are. So Mike was, Mike Rach was fantastic. I will call him a writing partner on that because he really was. And he um, he and I just went through stuff and, and he would uh, do a pass on the script and I, that he would send it back to me and I'd do a pass and we'd send it back and forth. So I couldn't even tell you who wrote which lines and who wrote what part uh, but he was a, a, a key section of that. And, and it's funny, because I told him, I said, you know, we should just keep writing together. Because uh, I had gone into once they'd started coming out, I literally went into a comic shop at one point, the local comic shop near my house. And the guy behind the counter goes, He holds up a copy of Exiles and he goes, I love this book. And I went, Oh, thank you very much. And then he held up a copy of X-Men and he goes, I hate this book, but what you're (laughs) doing in this book, I love this book. And I thought, Thank you. I <laughs> <Just, laughs> appreciate that. You're like, I did not
0: um, ask you in the first place. <laughs> I did
1: not. I was I'm just here anonymously to look through the new comics. Week. Yeah, weirdly, <laughs> I, realized, I realized when I was reading
0: last night, we didn't talk about your Exiles run at all when we did our initial interview, which is okay, because uh, we covered a lot of ground. But uh, Exiles, one of the reasons I love Jugman writing the most, especially at the beginning, is he launched a team where he could have used alternate cyclops and alternate rogue and alternate marine but instead he chose all the x-men characters that were like part of the original group but never really got to shine so you have like versions of thunderbird and mimic and the changeling and other characters in it uh during your run is i know there's one of the one of the characters from this run that's most popular is nocturne is here but we'll we'll talk about her another time as well uh, the basic premise for uh, for the exiles is whenever someone dies, someone else gets recruited. And there's a guy named the Time Broker who that guy has a wild history and maybe a set of revelations you don't even know uh, that we got explored later in the series. But uh, he's manipulating them to go fix rifts in the space time continuum. Is kind of what you need. And in this particular yeah. run. Uh, he is—he's uh, instructing the exiles to go save a character named Wolf Cub, uh, Nick Gleason, who is a, a young, skinny lupine mutant, uh, and uh, th- there's an evil havoc that's going to possess our havoc, which is the havoc from the mutant x world that our havoc had inhabited but now he's back and that's how he ended up in a coma but there's also this idea that havoc is like uh, uh going to go dark in every world unless that gets uh, gets addressed all of this is kind of ancillary to the mutant x or excuse me to the to the maximus Lobo stuff but there's a lot going on in this in this particular arc uh this is exiles volume 1 numbers 28 through 30 uh, and we're going to get back to Maximus Lobo in a second. Do you want to tell us about the setup of this story? You got to bring back some of your X-Men stories and tie them up a little bit here, which is fun. Uh, Annie, Annie, Gazicanian and uh, Carter are here too. Uh,
1: you know what? I, I don't know if I can comment. I can barely. I remember Hyperion being a part of it. I remember a great scene with Morph and um, Ileana that I loved I uh, just I remember bits and pieces of it I just don't yeah, remember yeah. the whole no, thing No it's
0: completely okay let me cover the story really quickly and we're going to sure. cover basically the the relevant stuff here uh, wolf Cub, who is a uh, a lesser-used member of the younger generation of the X-Men. He's he's a wolf kid. Uh, his name is Nick Gleason. He lashes out during a bad moment and, like, nearly guts Havoc, who's rushed off to get medical attention. The Exiles arrive. Havoc's getting tended to by Nurse Annie. But then he turns evil because his dark side takes over. Uh, Angel is realizing there are connections between Bert Worthington, his evil uncle Dazzler, Uh, and Lobo. And Lobo's saying, uh, Maximus Lobo's saying, you know, hey, I was involved in the death of your father, which is tying us back to the Jerry Siegel... Uh, angel three-part story that we just covered on my show from way back when oh yeah 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 (laughs) I I met that
1: was actually a nod to Jerry Siegel I loved I met Jerry Siegel at a comic convention and he drew me a picture of Superman oh Um, yeah I uh, so I I and nobody was around him he was all by himself and his wife was so thrilled that somebody knew who he was Um, but yeah so that I I love Jerry Siegel he was great and his wife was very very sweet He's
0: a great guy. And the tie-in to Evil Uncle Dazzler, which is something that's only happened basically here. (laughs) This is a character no one remembers. Uh, Basically, uh, Lobo and his pack of werewolves attack the X-Men and the Exiles. And they're trying to get Wolf Cub to kind of come over to their side. Uh, The story arc is called Unnatural Instincts. Uh, again, these wolves are super savage. They literally rip Morphin to pieces, but he's able to put himself back together. Then Evil Havoc attacks, and they fight Lobo, and the wolves are defeated, and Havoc is restored to himself, and that's that's the end. That's basically that's basically what happens in this arc. It's wow. fun superhero punchy uppy uh, stuff. Do you remember uh, much about your story with Lobo here, or what you were trying to do with him?
1: Uh, we were just trying to keep consistent with what we had done before and keep him alive as a as a potential main villain obviously it didn't work out but up as potential main villain for the x-men um and and the the mandate was to to be filler so that josh uh that judd when it could come back and and not have his not have his stuff too disrupted
0: so uh the only other time that maximus lobo has shown up and i think this will probably be the first time you hear this uh, Mark Guggenheim launched a series in 2008 called Young X-Men. Uh, it was a uh, crazy high concept. There's a lot of characters that uh, aren't used often that get used here. Uh, Blindfold and Dust and Anole and Rockslide and Danny Moon stars in it. And it's a lot of fun. And this is, this series introduces the characters Cypher and Gray Malkin, who I know a lot of people love. Uh, Wolf Cub, uh, this is after M-Day, where most of the world's mutants have lost their powers. And Wolf Cub goes to Germany to hunt down Maximus Lobo, who's in his human form because he doesn't have powers anymore. He's all bushy eyebrows and long hair and beard. And uh, he basically says, I want revenge because you attacked me that one time. And he's like, I only did this for your benefit. And Wolf Cub's like, I'm going to slash you to pieces. I'm going to gut you like a fish. But then Cyclops shows up and says, no, Wolf Cub, come with me. But it's not really Cyclops. It's Donald Pierce. But that's not really relevant to the story. Uh, So we get this like like, (laughs) two pages of Maximus Lobo because Wolf Cub's trying to get revenge. Uh, Do you have any thoughts on this little story?
1: Is that is that a, that's an an a, at the end of another story is that it's, where is
0: that It's the intro to Wolf Cub in a series called Young X-Men and oh. Wolf Cub dies a few issues later <laughs> Oh
1: really? Wow. <laughs> yeah,
0: I mean anybody's not anybody can be resurrected on Krakoa now so he's probably back. Of course. Back.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um I I don't I don't I don't know. I don't. Uh for me so, <laughs> it's just okay. I <laughs> Uh, It's one of the reasons why I am not a huge fan of slavish continuity, because it just winds up dividing fandom more than anything else. It's like, if you don't address it, a, a lot of fandom gets upset. But if you do address it, it winds up taking... I mean, you get 20 pages to tell a story. <laughs> and if you have to use four of them to explain where a character came from and why they're in this relationship, then you're just eating into the very limited amount of space that you have to write a story. Uh, it, I mean, even now, it's hard for me to fit a script into 22 pages. And, it, drives, and it, it doesn't drive Pat crazy. He loves that, actually. He loves doing the stories on Edgeworld that we do, but... I sometimes will turn in a script that's 24 or 26 pages, just so that I can wrap it up in a in a way that works. But if I have to cut it down to 22, it always feels like it's a little short. So if you have to take four of those for for continuity and backstory, it just makes me I, I just don't know how people do it. It's I really don't. I just don't understand. That's why I don't think I could ever work for Marvel or DC again. I could never I could never put in like This guy shows up and you don't remember me, but hundreds of years ago when it's like, oh my God, no, I don't, I, I don't care. Just tell me a good story. You know, I think that's one of
0: the requirements of comic book storytelling is how do you work in the continuity creatively Yeah, overwhelming people? It's Uh, hard. We tried. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead.
1: We always tried. I mean, you know, that's like like the story about juggernaut trashing the house was all, it was supposed to be a story. Um, that explained all of that history that gets alluded to in the earlier issues. But I never, I never, at any point, do I have a conversation between Xavier and Juggernaut where they say, "Oh, we were raised in the same house together, and you grew up, and my father used to beat me." And you know, they may have a bit of a conversation like that, but the whole story is separated out into Juggernaut destroys his house as sure. Sammy watches. So, so sure. yeah, it's you try, you do your best. Sometimes you can't, <laughs> or in some cases. You get an editor who will write a huge chunk of dialogue when your script comes back and you go, I didn't write that, but it's this long paragraph explaining like there's this the story where the, the one that I did with uh, uh Juggernaut um and the uh the basically the uh the PETA project, kind of the animals, uh protecting the animals yeah, story. Yeah, in mm-hmm. X-Men there's, Unlimited. Yeah, there's this one long paragraph where um Juggernaut is saying out loud how is it that you're able to get into my head because this helmet that I wear is supposed to protect me from psychic. And it's like, Oh my God, please, Ralph, why did you do that? Ralph, I, <laughs> you know, originally the dialogue was, ah, you know, and now there's this huge massive thing where he's explaining how his helmet works. And what Ralph didn't know is that I had changed that. And in a future story was going to reveal that his powers had been taken away. So you could get through to his head. <laughs>
0: so um, my last mention here, Victor Lavelle, who is just such an incredible novelist, is currently doing a lot with the character Sabretooth. And Sabretooth and Maximus Lobo and Wolverine and Romulus and all these guys. They're they're kind of uh, of the same breed or the same dominant species. Uh, Victor Lavelle is exploring uh, in his initial Sabretooth series in 2022, He's exploring what it's like to have a prison system. And Sabretooth has been tossed into what they call the pit of Krakoa. And he's left there to be kind of rehabilitated. And it's a really brilliant story about prison in America. Victor Lavelle has a way of working in historical concepts that are so powerful. Uh, He has has a follow-up series now called Sabretooth and the Exiles, which is exploring what it's like for the mutants who aren't pretty and who aren't the public face of mutantdom and how do they form and how do they fit into the society. It's really fascinating. Anyway, there's one panel. Sabretooth is in the pit and he's basically being allowed to live out his own fantasies. It's like a little reality now. There's his own own, uh, virtual reality machine. And there's one panel where he's trying to kill everyone who ever thought they were a superior predator to him. And there's all these corpses on the ground around him of all these like wolfy big mutants. And Maximus Lobo is there. And awesome. It's, it's in this like pretend moment. So everybody's slashed to death and, and Lobo's in the pile.
1: <laughs> but it's oh, that's like,
0: okay. not real, Of course. Uh, no, that's it, okay. I would it's give, really interesting.
1: I would give Sabretooth his due in that in that instance, you know. <laughs> uh and you know, again, that was all I would show. What you didn't see that was where we were all heading it was you know saber-tooth would kill maximus lobo you know i mean that would be that would be the direction that it would go and and the idea being that you you just keep whittling it down whittling it down until you get to the pyramid of at the top i mean and but then i mean part of what the story is about and i'm sorry I'm, i hope i'm not derailing mm, you. you're great um the uh uh part of what that story is is that people look at humans and go how the hell did we survive and it's all because seriously we can be gutted more easily than other animals we have no claws we have no prote- you know real t- protection or defense and it's all about the brain and and, a, and beyond the brain it's a it's that it's potentially that kind of spiritual connection that makes us connect with other people and makes us support other people so yeah. that because we are willing to protect someone who is vulnerable, we can all survive as a group, um, which is exactly where I was going to go with all of this. So I I, I I've, I'm all on board with Sabretooth killing Maximus Lobo. It's all good for me. <laughs>
0: now, I always like to explore the potential of these characters when I finish these episodes. We talked to, uh, you know, what's the squid boy story that we need? The Maximus Lobo story that we need, I feel like, is the opportunity for him to be a credible threat, even if it's only for an issue or two. And you did that, and I think we could do more of that with him more as the focus. I would love to see. So this guy, some of the stuff that's make, makes him interesting is he is a CEO of a, like a multi-billion-dollar company yeah. where he's he's using these uh, like quick business ideas. Uh, making him part of Orcus or another organization that exists in the comics now where he has these types of connections and skills. The idea of him with the Pac-Mind as well, it's not explicitly stated but his ability to influence the people around him as like the alpha mutant, uh, his connection to the Worthington's and to Angel's father and uncle. I think there's some really interesting things to explore with this guy. Weirdly, uh uh the character he's kind of most associated with in some ways is a wolf cub, but uh yeah. but Angel, Angel and Husk uh like got their asses handed to them by this guy. And when you write Husk into the Exiles, she's like I can't do this again because she's like trapped in the woods with these wolf guys again and they're really savage. I think there's some interesting potential for this character to be explored and to do what you were trying to do with him, which is make him a more credible threat. Uh and uh and to put him into um uh, a higher spotlight. Now, at the end of this episode, when you and I are done, I will do a read through of the Lobo Brothers and I will add an addendum after this so we can cover that part. Because that part surprised me today, but I'll be ready for that uh, when when we put this out. We're going to release this on the Patreon on May 24th, Chuck, and um, out on the main channel a little bit later in the summer. Uh, is there anything you would like to plug? I know you have a few fun things going on with the incredible artist, Pat Alief, who is just amazing. Uh, and I know you've got your hands in a few different things or ideas brimming all of the time. Uh, what, what would you like to plug And Where can people find you online?
1: Um, well, I ha- I have a Facebook page, but I don't post much there anymore for the reasons that you and I talked about earlier. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so, uh, um, uh, so generally I am very social media shy because of the experiences that I went through in, you know, 20 years ago. Uh, and I tend to avoid it as much as possible. So there's not really any way to kind of reach out to me. Um, Although if, you know, if somebody gets in touch with you and and you vet them as far as somebody that you think is, you know, okay to talk to, I'm perfectly happy to, to, to chat with, them. not that I feel like you should be, okay, wait a minute. You no, might want to edit will, this out.
0: I will I, gladly screen the shitty people for you and say, nope, here, here's Chuck's fake email address and the good ones I will send your way.
1: <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay, good. I just, but I also don't want you to be inundated with people that, that are like, oh, can you get me in touch with Chuck Austin? I have this animation picture, whatever. I don't. I, I build
0: in- very it. warm relationships with people that I care about and others i'm like yeah i'm not gonna answer you <laughs> okay sounds good
1: um but uh as far as plugging goes yeah i mean just EdgeWorld. it's uh the the 10th issue is coming out i think in two weeks um and i can't talk about anything else really beyond that everything else that i'm doing right now is under non-disclosure or uh is under wraps until it shows up but but Edgeworld, uh, I'm super proud of it's getting tremendous response. We are working on an animated version of it, and uh we'll see where it goes. That's uh another.
0: you shared something with me uh that you are working on a little bit, and it's that's, beautiful, and I can't say anything, but I'll just say that much. It's it's beautiful and I'm very thank excited you. for you.
1: Thanks. Yeah, that's uh that's another th- Pat pat Olaf project uh this edge world was one that was more my idea and then he and i sh- flushed out into something this one one was one that started out as his idea and he and i flushed it out so i I'm, I'm i love it i'm very happy with it and yeah we can't talk about it
0: <laughs> yeah is, is it okay that i said that much the- i think it's
1: so oh, yeah it's perfectly okay because we haven't talked about any specifics <laughs> I'm, I'm not in violation of any contracts and
0: it's beautiful, and I'm thank very, you. I'm very happy about it. Uh, Chuck, it truly is, and I genuinely mean this. It's truly an honor to uh, hang out with you this morning. Thank you. I, I, I love, I love chatting. We connect every once in a while, and I just, I'm glad, I'm glad to be uh, part of your life and have you in mind, man. It's, it's great. Well,
1: I feel the same, and I appreciate you taking the time away from the kids and the husband so that you can spend time with me. Oh, you, thank you for letting me spend some time away from my kids. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I love them very much, but after a long weekend, having two hours to close the door and nerd out for a while is a lovely thing. I understand, uh, I do.
1: I've been there, my- oh God, I've been there. Three kids, I get it. Yeah,
0: I'm, I love it, I really do. But yeah, I need I need to close the door once in a while. Uh, hey, uh, lastly on Grey Malkin Lane for listeners, uh, we're, we're gonna put this out on May 24th, like I said. The next episode on the main channel right after this, we're doing our monthly trial, which is the fourth Thursday of every month. We have the joint trial of the Mimic and the Super Adaptoid which is one of the deepest digs we've done. We do these kind of maxi episodes, Chuck, on uh, l- looking at like a, a character in depth. And I have like a, a jury of six people who come on and it's like this big maxi episode. So doing, uh, doing the mimic and the super adaptoid is this super nerdy deep dive and I'm very excited. Ah, uh, the next Patreon episode after this is going to feature the ultimate P flag mom, uh, Miss Lucinda Guthrie, the mother of Cannonball and Husk. Uh, we will be delving into her whole history, including her incredible arc with uh, in she lies with angels, <laughs> during which she inherits her eleventh child. We'll talk about that uh, next time. Uh, and and uh, Paul from uh, uh, you you not on Power of X Men. Uh, he's to yeah, yeah that episode yeah. Okay, now let's talk about the Lobo brothers for just a minute. Carlos and Eduardo Lobo first appear in Spectacular Spider-Man Volume 2 Number 143 in October 1988 by Jerry Conway and Sal Buscema. They are mutant werewolves, two brothers who can change into a savage wolf form. After growing up orphans on the streets of Zaragoza, Mexico, they formed a gang called Los Hermanos de la Luna or the Brotherhood of the Moon. They eliminated other gangs in South Texas and began operating their criminal empire from a mansion. Kingpin sent in his agent, the Arranger, with a brainwashed punisher to kill the brothers and Spider-Man got involved. So the brothers went to New York for revenge and brutally murdered many of Kingpin's followers, leaving messages in blood that said things like wolves bite back and wolves kill. And Eduardo Lobo began to date Glory Grant in earnest. Now, Glory is an African-American character, one of the few who has gotten a lot of attention in the Spider-Man comics outside of Robbie and Randy Robertson. But this is kind of her only storyline, really, ever in comics, besides just having a few jobs at the Daily Bugle. Anyway, she's dating this wolf brother. And uh, surprise, Inferno happened, and Eduardo killed one of the Inferno demons with a pipe in Web of Spider-Man number 48. It turned out Eduardo was only dating Glory because of her access to the files at the Daily Bugle, but they actually fell in love. She tended to Eduardo when he was wounded and she stole files for him. And then one night he turned into a werewolf but he found himself unable to eat Glory because he actually loved her. So he, because she had uh, tamed the wolf in his soul. This is very 1980s comics. Uh, Eduardo also appeared very briefly in the comic book adaptation of the game Doctor's Doom's Revenge, which is fun. Anyway, a gang war erupts, and Hammerhead and the chameleon get involved. And in the end, Glory Grant, who, uh, We think she's the one that fired the gun. If you read the story, it's not quite clear. Uh, But she fired a gun and Eduardo was killed. She was trying to shoot Spider-Man instead. Years later in the early 2000s, we get the Maximus Lobo story that we've explored in detail with Chuck today in Dominant Species. And we don't see Carlos Lobo again, unless we assume that these Wolf Brothers are part of Maximus Lobo's pack. We see Carlos again, though, in uh, 2013 in Scarlet Spider. By Chris Yost and Paulo Sequera. Now, this is a great series featuring the clone of Spider-Man. Uh, I remember the tagline being something like, uh, all of the power, none of the responsibility. It's really interesting. And there's some great queer characters, plus the character Hummingbird, who we love here. Anyway, Carlos and his sister Esmeralda, who is also a mutant werewolf. So this Almost seems to be like a pack mind running in the family. I think of it almost like the Kleinstock brothers. All three kids are mutants and all of them are werewolves. They're recruited by the character Coyote, who's so creepy, uh, to kill the heroine Hummingbird. And Carlos hopes that Coyote will resurrect Eduardo in return. Uh, there's a fight with the Scarlet Spider. Uh, he also mutates in, in, into a big giant monster, and that monster rips out Carlos's eye and stabs him in the heart and rips off his arm. It's super brutal. Esmeralda rushes Carlos home for medical treatment, where the coyote, who blames him for the failure, sucks out Carlos's soul and kills him instead, which leaves only Esmeralda as the surviving Lobo sibling. But surprise, we aren't done. In 2017, during the clone conspiracy event, the jackal, and this is a crazy dance lot story, the, the, uh, the guy Ben Riley, who's the clone of Spider Man, a different clone than the one that was the Scarlet Spider, that's Kane, uh, he has set up a company and he's resurrecting dead criminals using crazy biological technology. And there's a bunch of group scenes, and Eduardo Lobo is one of the criminals that he reanimates. And these clones have to take like a pill every day in order to stay alive. Uh, But he worked for the Jackal for a while, and at the end of the story, most of the clones end up kind of melting away, but a few survive. So it's possible that he's still out there. So we've got two Lobo brothers who are uh, mutant werewolves with a violent history. They may or may not have been part of this gang of Maximus Lobo. We've also got Esmeralda Lobo out there. Uh, So this kind of pack mindset that we were talking about with uh, Chuck extends even further. So there you go. Some added history uh, about the Lobo brothers who I didn't even know were connected to Maximus Lobo in the first place. We'll see you back here next time on our next Patreon episode.